I'm looking forward to today's passage in James 2 because I believe our faith is revealed through our works, or at least it can be. I kind of compare it to something the famous old basketball coach John Wooden once said. He said, sports do not build character, they reveal it. By the same token, I believe our works don't make us holy, but they often reveal our holiness. I believe the work of the Holy Spirit produces a definite response in us that can be seen by the world. I like the way James uses the analogy of Abraham's faithful obedience as a work of faith. And the same with Rahab and her willingness to show her faith through action. There's an old saying that is particularly loved by the incarcerated people we work with in prison ministry. And it goes like this, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. I think James is saying that here. He's answering that question of, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, we are. I love Doug's thoughts on, on our passage for today. I think, so what did he say? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks? Is that? All right, so by the end of today, everyone needs to have that memorized, okay? So just start practicing that in your head. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about today's passage. I think it has so much good stuff to, to teach us. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to James chapter 2 and hang on to it there. James chapter 2, while you are turning there, we'll also have the words up on the screen, but man, it's just so good if we can get into the Word together, even if it's a digital copy, just go ahead and open that up, James chapter 2, 14. Uh, while you're doing that, I just want to give you a reminder, VBX is just a couple of weeks away. Uh, we do our VBS program at Harp Commons here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford because we want to get into the community. We don't want to always ask the, the community to come out to us. Like We want to say, we're going to go to where our community is. And so we are, a couple of years ago, we went to kind of a backyard VBX type model uh, where we just kind of unleash, and we have VBXs that meet all across our community in Bedford and, and Bloomington. And so our VBX this year is going to be at Harp Commons, and we'd love to get your children, your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, whoever signed up for this. It is a fantastic week uh, for them to learn about Jesus and have a whole lot of fun doing it. Uh, We've got some invite door hangers, invite cards that uh, we just encourage you to stop by, pick up a few of these. Uh, my wife and I picked up a whole stack of them this morning because our girls have been talking about all their friends from school that they want to invite uh, to this. And so just join us in making that invitation. It's going to be a really fun week, and uh, it may change um, someone's life uh, that you know and that you love. So we're in the fourth week of our series called Relevant Faith, and we're continuing to look through this book, uh, one of my favorites, the, this tiny little book, five chapters long, the book of James. Uh, James was the, the half-brother of, of Jesus, and we're going to be studying one of the passages that, that I think is oftentimes uh, most misunderstood, not just in the book of James, but maybe in the entire New Testament, maybe even in the entire, you know, all of Scripture, Old and New Testament, uh, we're going to be looking at a passage today that, when misapplied, uh, can become one of the most dangerous passages of Scripture. And we're going to be looking at a, a passage that was so controversial that the great reformer Martin Luther questioned if it should even be a part of the New Testament. Like He, he thought, maybe we just need to kind of slice this one out because it can lead to some, some pretty dangerous places. And the reason why our text today is so disputed is because many people believe, believe that it's in direct opposition 
against everything else that the Bible teaches about our salvation. And that's a pretty important thing, right? Like, so if there's anything that comes along and seems to indicate something different about salvation than the rest of the Bible, then people are going to be a little leery about that. And so oftentimes through the centuries, people have been a little leery about this passage that we're going to be studying today. Because all through the Bible, we find that salvation is through faith in Jesus alone. Period. Salvation is found in placing our faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing that we can earn to to, to, to earn God's grace. It is a gift that he has has given us. And, And so in other words, God has already done in and through Jesus what is required for our forgiveness, for our salvation. You just need to place your faith in it. But then we get to the book of James. And James seems to preach an alternative message to that. James seems to contradict this idea of grace alone. James says that that faith without works is dead. In fact, even in verse 24, he says this. He says, a person is considered righteous, and that word righteous kind of means in right standing with God. They're considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so you can see how this can begin to make some people push back and go, whoa, that sounds a whole lot like works salvation. It sounds like, it sounds like what James is saying is that you need Jesus and. That you need Jesus and your good works. You need Jesus and your good deeds in order to earn your salvation. That that's what's going to make you righteous. And for some people, they would look at that and they would say, that completely misses the heart of the gospel. That, that completely goes against the teachings of the New Testament. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. And so how does this idea of, well, you're made righteous not just by faith alone. But I hope that today we'll see that James is not inconsistent with the rest of Scripture and that the rest of Scripture is not inconsistent with, with James. James is very well aware that we cannot save ourselves through our good works. And the rest of Scripture is very well aware that faith without Good deeds is is dead. Or as Rich Mullins sings, faith without works is as useless as a screen door on a submarine. (laughs) I like that that, that mental image. It's just not a lot of good that it does. So what James and the New Testament writers teach all throughout is that faith in Jesus and good works for Jesus, they they go hand in hand. It's, It's two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. Works without faith is as meaningless as faith without works. So let's look at our text together. James 2, starting in verse 14. James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you 
one evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? James and Jeff Lampson have a lot in common. They both went to Abraham uh, to illustrate a point this morning. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see this passage the way that uh, you intended us to see it. Lord, help us to apply this passage the way that you've intended us to apply it. Father, I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to what you want to say. May your voice be the first voice, God, the only voice that we hear. This, this, this passage this morning, Lord, it is, it is so important as we learn what it means to have a relevant faith, not just in our life, but in the lives of others, a faith that really makes a difference, the true authentic faith that you have called us to. And so, Lord, would you give us your wisdom this morning as we study your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So James starts our our text off this morning with one of his um, favorite literary tools. He asks a rhetorical question. We see him using that multiple times um, throughout these five chapters. And he says, what good is it if you claim to have faith but you don't have actions? What good is it if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, if you make that claim, but yet there's nothing in your attitude or your actions that kind of back that up? And so in today's culture, James might say something like, what good is it if you say, well, I grew up in church. I went to VBS when I was a kid. I attend most Sundays. I was baptized when I was young. I'm a part of a Bible study. I pray kind of regularly. What good is it if you say all of those things, but you don't live out your faith? What good is it if you say, but I only listen to Christian music? Or I only say Christian cuss words. Darn it. Dang it. Shoot. Dag nabbit. <laughs> what good is it if you say that you believe in Jesus, but you don't follow the actions of Jesus? James asked, do you really have faith? Or he might say this. What good is your faith if you're still really obnoxious to your coworkers? <laughs> what good is your faith if you are mean to your neighbors, if you are unfaithful to your spouse, if you're short with your kids? What good is your faith if you snap at the lady at the drive-thru or the receptionist because she's not moving quick enough for you? What good is your faith if you gossip with your friends, if you hold grudges against people who have offended you, if you're resentful for others, if you're dishonest in your deals? What good is your faith if you're negative all the time, if you're having an emotional affair with a coworker, if you're living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you're greedy with your money, 
If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian and yet choose to live opposite of the life that God desires for us to live, then he would say, what good is your faith? Like, what's it really doing? Not only in your life, but what is your faith actually doing in the lives of anyone else? I want to be clear here. You know, one of the things that we talk all the time about at, at Sherwood Oaks is, is that we are saved by grace alone. None of us are perfect. None of us have all of our stuff together. I fall short all the time just like you. And so if you're new here this morning, if you're new here this morning, I want you to know that this is a place where it is okay to not be okay. None of us get it right all the time. We are just a collection of sinners who have been saved by grace, who come to worship a God who loves us and has forgiven us through Jesus. God's still working on all of us, myself included. And so I don't want you to think that become a Christian or to become a part of, of the family here at Sherwood Oaks Bedford, that, that you have to have it all together. If that were the case, this church would be empty and this pulpit would be empty every Sunday morning because none of us do. But that being said, I think what James is telling us is that if you claim to be a Christian and yet you live no differently than the world, if you act or react no differently than your non-Christian neighbor, then do you really have faith? Have you ever really repented and turned from your old way of living and submitted your life to Christ? James says, if, if not, then do you really have faith? Some strong words. And the reason why faith without works is dead is because you don't really believe in something until you act on it, right? You don't really believe in something until you, you act on it. Years ago, there was a famous tightrope walker who was doing a show. And a large crowd gathered to watch him walk across a, a rope that, that bridged a canyon. And, and right before he was getting ready to take his first step, he, he looked out at the crowd and he said, do you believe that I can do this? And they're like, yeah, you know, they're cheering for him, encouraging him. And he grabbed a wheelbarrow and he said, how many of you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across this tightrope without falling? Everyone's still clapping and shouting, you can do it, you can do it. And he said, do I have any volunteers willing to get into the wheelbarrow and go across with me? And there was silence. <laughs> because at that point, their faith had to go take some action, right? Like it had to put some flesh on, it had to do something. And it's really easy to say, yeah, I believe, I believe. And then do nothing with that belief. Take no further steps as a result of it. And James would ask, in that kind of faith, like, is it good for anything? And remember, James is not teaching us here what we must do to be saved. James is teaching us here what we do if we've been saved. He's teaching us what to do now that Jesus has control of our life, and then he gives some evidence that we should see in our life that our faith is alive. And evidence number one that he talks about is how you serve others. The way that you serve others proves if your faith is, is alive. Your faith is alive when you demonstrate in actions towards others, especially towards kind of the marginalized and, and the forgotten in our society, the ones that everyone else just kind of passes right by. James says that if you actually move towards those instead of away from those situations, that you'll be able to look and say, yeah, that's a faith that's doing something. So James says you believe, then show it in the way that you serve others. The way 
that you serve those who are different from you, the way that you live out your faith and demonstrate it in your actions and your attitudes towards others, especially those who are in need. In, in, in verse 15, again, he kind of paints this hypothetical scenario. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Like if you just, all that you say to them is, hey, good luck, I'll pray for you, and you do nothing about it, then James is saying, like, what good is that faith to you or to anyone else? I had a professor in college that said, our good deeds don't save us, but God uses them to save others. God uses our good deeds as a measure of grace in the lives of others who are hurting and downcast. I think what James is, is saying here is that our faith in Jesus should lead us to help serve others that are in need. It should give us a heart of empathy and compassion and love that sees a need and meets a need without judgment or discrimination because that is how Jesus loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get all of our stuff together. He sent Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. And so our faith in Jesus should flip a switch of love and serving and sacrifice for others. And to make sure that we really get this point, really understand how useless faith without deeds is, look again at what James writes in verse 19. I really like how, how the New Living Translation writes it. James says, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God, this is a strong biblical statement that would have resonated with James' Jewish audience. He points back to the Shema, one of, one of the most recited verses throughout all time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. He, he, he bases this on this deeply rooted belief and doctrine that they would have held on to. And he says, you believe that there is one God, good for you, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And so you say, hey, I believe. And James would say, awesome. That's a great starting line. It's a horrible finish line. <laughs> great starting line. Useless finish line. says even the demons believe that there's a God. They have the right doctrine, but it doesn't do anything to change their actions or their destiny. In his commentary on James, Sam, Sam Alberry says, the demons have sound doctrine. Hell is full of good theology. You can have all the right beliefs, you can have all the right doctrine, but if your attitude and your actions are not reflected of the heart of Jesus, a heart of love, then what good is your right beliefs? What good is your right doctrine? What good is it doing you or anyone else? God does not desire your right belief alone. He desires your right belief put into action. Which leads us to the second evidence that your faith is alive. Evidence number two is in how you serve God. You guys still with me? This morning, a lot of sleepy faces here today. I get it. Everyone's excited about a long weekend. Evidence number two is how you serve God. 
Because you can show that your faith is alive in the way that you serve God and that you live for him. You, you can fake good deeds towards others. You can do all the right things for others, but with all of the wrong motives. You can serve others for your own gain, your own glory, for the pats on the back and the accolades. But faith that's alive obeys God out of a true desire for relationship with him, the God of the universe, and he sees your heart. You can't fake it with God. You can fake it towards others. You can't fake it towards God. So God desires a relationship. He desires a friendship with us, and he desired that first before we ever desired it with him. And to illustrate this point, James points to Abraham and Rahab, two people who put their faith into action. And if you're not familiar with their, their accounts, let me just kind of catch us all up, point back to their story, starting with Abraham. All the way back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, God promised Abraham that he was going to give him a son that was going to be the father of many nations. And then Abraham and his wife Sarah, they waited for years and years and years, well past childbearing age, and yet God kept his promise. And at an old age, a miracle happened. Sarah gave birth to Isaac, the promised child of God. But then God asked Abraham to do something that was a little strange. He asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on the altar, the same son that was the fulfillment of God's promise. And instead of arguing with God, saying, but hey God, don't you remember what you told me all of these years ago? And don't you remember that Isaac is the fulfillment of this? Instead of doing any of that, I, I, Abraham says, all right. And he and Isaac, load up. They start their way up to the mountain. And Isaac, even at a young age, he's smart enough to look around and like, well, dad, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And like Jeff said this morning, Abraham's response was, the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And so he gets everything ready. And I don't know what that moment was like when Abraham looked at Isaac and said, you're the sacrifice, and laid him down on the altar. And right as he was about ready to drive the knife, God said, stop, stop. Don't sacrifice your son. Provided an alternative sacrifice. And, and God says in Genesis 12, 22, 12, he says, he says, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And every time I read this, I think, why would Abraham do this? Why would God ask him to do this? And I think it's because Abraham trusted God and wanted to please him. Abraham knew that God was faithful. The author of Hebrews even says that Abraham believed that, that even if God allowed him to go through with the sacrifice, that, that God would raise him back from the dead. He knew that he could trust God even when he didn't understand what God was up to. You see, faith means doing things you'd only do if you believe God, not just believe in God. You see the difference between the two? Faith is doing things that you would only do when you believe God, not just believe in God. Most Americans would say that they believe in God, but the reason why most people don't actually act on those beliefs is because they don't believe God. And so God's word tells us to do many things that require us to believe him, not just believe in him. We have to put our trust and our faith in him in things that don't make sense. 
And so God says, go be my witnesses. Go and tell people about me and my love and my grace that I'm giving through Jesus. And as you go, know that I will be with you. I will give you the words to say. And yet most Christians won't have one spiritual conversation this year where they share their faith with a non-believer. In fact, less than 20% of Christians will have a conversation about their faith with someone who doesn't follow Jesus because they don't believe. God says that his design for sex is between one husband and one wife for one life. That he created this gift of sex. It was his idea. He knows how to best use it. We just have to trust him in it. But most people, including Christians, live out their sexuality in whatever way they want. They believe in God. But do they believe God? That he knows what is best. That they can trust him. The Bible calls us to be generous. Jesus says that it's more blessed to give than receive, and yet statistics say that most Christians don't give to charitable causes and less than 10% actually tithe to the local church. God says, forgive those who have hurt you and leave revenge up to me, but we feel like we've got to be the ones that take justice. We've got to be the one that get revenge. We have to be the ones that let the person know just how badly they hurt us and inflict pain on them in the way that they inflicted it on us because we don't believe that God will come to our defense. See, we believe in God, but do we believe God? Believing God means believing who he is and what he says and that he is trustworthy and he is faithful. And when we trust him, we will risk it all. Abraham did it. And then James points to Rahab as well. Rahab was a prostitute who was a foreigner to God's people. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. It was one of the very first cities that God promised to deliver to his people as they entered into the promised land. But before they took it over, they sent some spies in to kind of check it out, see if they could take the city, and the spies were, were found out, and if they would have been caught, they would have been killed. And so Rahab kind of ushers them in. She hides them from people who were coming after them, and then she sent them in the wrong direction and sent them out the back door on their way to safety. And James points to this as an example of faith put into action. She didn't just believe in God, she believed God. She risked it all for God, even though she had a sketchy past. She trusted God and risked it all for him and for his people. And I absolutely love that James uses Rahab as an example of authentic faith. A woman who is a prostitute from another country is about as opposite as you can get from Abraham, right? Two very different examples that James uses to show us what faith looks like. One commentary I read said that James doesn't use Abraham and Rahab as exhibit A and exhibit B, but exhibit A through Z. <laughs> if these two can show genuine faith, anyone can. Rahab and Abraham are examples of two people who believed in God and believed God. They believed God not just with their words, but with their actions. They put their faith into action. And really, that's what it comes down to. It comes down to your actions. If you truly love God, if you really have faith in him, it's going to show in your actions and your attitude. Man, I'm telling you, world that doesn't know Jesus 
It's what they're looking for. Do you really believe what you say you believe? Or does this just kind of affect what you do on Sunday mornings? I don't know if you've heard of the Oscar-winning documentary, Undefeated. Anybody, anybody seen that, familiar with it? Incredible film. It tells a story uh, just a few years ago about a high school football team in Memphis called the Manassas Tigers. They'd had 10 straight years of losing seasons, partly because they couldn't even field a team. They had a hard time keeping guys on the roster. You know, they'd get arrested. Um, they'd get kicked out of school. And so by the time the season got over, they'd have a shell of the team that they, that they began with. And many of the young men that were on the team, 90% of them actually came from fatherless homes. And many of those men lost their fathers because of gang violence. And the school was about ready to give up. They were about ready to shut the, the football program down when a Bible study leader across town, all the way across town, heard about the situation. And he challenged a group of men, a group of men just like what we have meet on the first Saturday of, of every month for breakfast and Bible study, just a group of guys who, who joined together like, hey, let's study God's word and see where he leads. Well, where he led them was to go across town and to volunteer to coach these young men in their football team. So he put that challenge out, and a, a contractor by the name of Bill Courtney decided that, eh, I'll go over there and I'll give it a shot. And so he walked into the school and he said, so how do I volunteer for this? How do I sign up? And they're like, you're a warm body. Here's a whistle. Good luck. <laughs> and so he went out there. Four weeks into practice, he was ready to give up. <laughs> he gives a speech in the locker room, and he kind of goes through all of the things that he's already experienced and says, two of my players have been shot. More of them are in trouble in school, in the community. Some of them have been arrested. He's like, I've been through a lifetime of coaching whores in four weeks. <laughs> There are fights every day at practice, and he says, I'm done. He, he was done. He was ready to give up, and he called one of his players, one of the only leaders on the team, into his office, and he said, what do I have to do to earn these guys' respect? And the player looked at him and said, Coach, you have our respect. We're just wondering if you're a turkey man. So he looked at him and he's like, what's a turkey man? The young man said, coach, every year between Thanksgiving and Christmas, people will come into town, they'll buy food, they'll give us Christmas presents, they'll be here during the holidays, and they'll feel good about themselves. But then they'll drive back to their other side of town and they'll brag to their friends and their churches about what they did and they will forget all about us because they don't really care. And so we're just waiting to see if you're a turkey man too. Bill said that he was so convicted that he committed to never be a turkey man. He poured everything he could into these kids and into their families, into this community, and the results were absolutely amazing. Not only an undefeated season that led to a championship, 
But more importantly, kids grew up with a father figure in their coach who taught them not only how to play football, but taught them about life and about faith and about family. I think that this is what James is asking us today. Are you a turkey man? Do you have a turkey woman faith or is your faith the real deal? What kind of faith do you have? Is it a transactional faith where you're just looking to get something from God, you're just looking to get something from other people? Is it a transactional faith or is it a transformative faith? Is it a faith that says, God, I will trust you no matter what, even when it doesn't make sense? I will trust you even when I don't see what you're doing. I will trust you and I'm going to step out on faith every chance I get because I want to serve you and I want to serve others and I want others to find the same hope and love and joy and peace that I found in Jesus. Your good works will not save you. So you can rest in that. It's not going to save you. But man, God's going to use them to change the lives of someone else. Let's go out and show our community what it means to live in faith. There are plenty of people in our community who claim to be Christians, but you'd never know it by their actions or their attitude. People notice that, and it's an embarrassment, not just to them, but to Jesus. Let's show our community what it means to have faith, not by what we say, but by how we live and we act and we behave. May we point them to Jesus and his love for them, and may they be drawn to him because of the authentic faith that they see in us through the way that we love others and the way that we love Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of your word, and oftentimes, God, it is convicting. I know even for me as I was studying it leading up to to this, Lord, you revealed some things in me where my faith is more representative of that turkey man faith than that authentic, real, genuine faith. And so, Lord, would you continue to work those edges off of me and us as we just want Jesus and Jesus only. We want more of him. We want our attitude and our actions to be more reflective of him in our community, in our homes, in our places of work. Lord, I pray that when people see our lives and the genuineness of our faith, that, God, they will see you and what you are doing, that we don't have it all together, that we don't live these perfect, sinless lives, but but that, Lord, we have found hope and forgiveness in you, and, and, and you continue just to mold us and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that our faith will be proven in our actions. That that not only will you know that it's authentic, but others will know as well. And that you will use our faith to make a difference in the lives of others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we go this morning, um, just a couple of uh, things that I want to kind of tie up for our service today. Number one, if you are new with us, thank you for joining us today. Um, I love this church. I hope that you'll come back and join us again soon. Be sure to stop by the welcome desk on your way out. We got a little uh, gift card to Magic Morning that we want to give you just as a way of saying thanks for coming and visiting us. Um, Have a donut and coffee on on us. Um, If you want to talk to somebody about your next steps of faith, what it means to follow Jesus, maybe you're ready to get baptized, 
Uh, we have the baptismal full. We could do it today. If you don't mind wearing some clothes home wet, we got a towel. Uh, if you're ready to take your next step of faith, be baptized. If you want to talk to somebody about what it means to become a part of this family of believers or just someone to pray with you, uh, I'll be up here after service and would be honored to, to do that. Uh, this Tuesday is Hoosier Hills Food Bank. This is one of the great ways that, that we get to live out our faith in our community. Um, every month we host about 130 to 150 families that, that come here and receive food. It is our honor to be able to put that on for our community. And so if you want to jump in on that, um, we, provide, we provide coffee, we provide lemonade, we also provide some, some um, cookies and candy, just various things. You can give by either giving to that, bring something in around 3 o'clock, 3.30, and we'll set that out. And they love uh, just having some of those treats. Um, but then you can also serve by serving food. Uh, we set up some tables right back there. They go through the line. We just kind of hand them out as uh, however large their family is, as determines what they get. Um, oftentimes we have some folks that have a really hard time carrying all the food out because uh, they, they really do get a lot. And so we have bag runners that will help them carry from, from here out to their, their car. And so there's a place for everyone to serve. Uh, my, my daughters are here every Tuesday that we have this and they serve and they hand out food. And so just come and join us. It is a great time. That's this Tuesday. Tuesday. We start serving at four o'clock. It's over by six. If you can come anytime during that, we'll, uh, we'll put you to work. I want to give a couple of staffing updates before we go. Uh, first, Alex Smith has served as our youth minister for over a year. It's been a wonderful addition to our team. On Monday, he shared with me that he's going to be stepping down from this position, and we're going to miss Alex. Uh, he's really given a lot to our students. Um, but we are excited about what's next for him and prayerful about where God is leading us in our student ministry. We're going to continue to work with our student ministry team at all of our um, Sherwood Oaks campuses to be able to provide programming and events through the summer, and so we're not going to miss a beat on some of those things. Um, but Alex will be here over the next couple of weeks, so be sure just to thank him and, and wish him well as he moves on to what's next for him. And then second... For this past year, uh, we have really been blessed by Caleb and Hannah, and them leading us in, in worship. And uh, they've really done an excellent job. Uh, we've really grown to love them. I hear the feelings mutual. Um, <laughs> we've really grown to, to love them. But God has been working in his life, and he and Hannah are about ready to get married here in just a, a couple of weeks. Um, Caleb has felt the call to take a step of faith to leave his profession as a teacher and to enter into full-time ministry. And, uh, man, guys, I want you to know we affirm that in you. We, I mean, we see it in him, right? Like his heart for the Lord, the way that he leads. Yeah, we, we affirm that in you, brother. We love you. Um, Caleb has accepted a full-time ministry position at uh, Free Methodist Church here in Bedford, and we're excited for you guys and all of the opportunities that this is going to give you, uh, even as we're going to, to miss you um, greatly here. Um, there's no doubt that this is where the Lord is leading them after much prayer, and uh, so we just want to, to say we love you all, and we're excited about what God has for you. Uh, so if God is leading them there, then we are confident that he's going to lead someone here. In the meantime, Tim and our worship ministry uh, will be working to make sure that we continue 
to be able to enter into a, an environment of praise and worship here on Sunday mornings, develop a ministry that helps us do that. And it's one thing that I've learned in nearly 20 years of ministry is that change is inevitable. Like, it, it's just going to happen. It is a part of life. It's a part of ministry. Um, good people that you grow to, to know and love, you also get to send out to their next area of ministry. And so we get to do that with two wonderful young men and with Hannah, um, who is, uh, has been such a blessing to us as well. We're going to miss them but we look forward to it with anticipation to what God has in store for us.